Welcome to the sermon podcast for Canton Church, a campus of Mount Perrin North. We exist to help people live a Christ-centered life, especially those disconnected from Christ. And we hope you are encouraged by today's message. Everybody doing all right today? You know, uh, how many of you have ever been out of the country? Raise your hand. Oh, a lot of us. That's good. That's good. Okay, so um, when I have been out of the country, which uh, I've gotten to do that several times and I, and I love it, when I do that, I try as quickly as I can to find common ground in the language, right? So I try to find some few words that I can speak in whatever that language is so that I can communicate with the people there. If not, I just turn into like an English speaking tourist that just thinks if I talk louder, they understand me and, you know, gyrate my hand. Can I have some water? Right? They don't understand that. So I try to figure out what the words are that I might need in conversational, whatever that is that I'm, I'm there and what the native language is. And so, you know, I love that because I'm trying to find that common ground. And so I took Spanish when I was in school. Can't remember any of it. I'm not really sure uh, what I was supposed to retain, but, but I, I didn't uh, retain any of it, actually. Um, but I've been to several Spanish-speaking countries uh, throughout my, my, especially my adult life. And, and so I always, it seems like, maybe the, the thing that I got from my schooling is that I'm able to pick some things up pretty quickly and so I'm able to converse a little bit about food or about needing to find restrooms, which I think is, is El Baño. So I'm able to you know, find out where that's at and, and know where the restrooms are at. So I'm able to find a few words, and then I come home, and what happens? Then I forget them again, and you know, it doesn't really matter because when I'm in that place, I'm looking for a way to connect. I'm looking for a way to speak their language. Now, here's the, here's the cool part about it. You don't have to be in a place where they speak another language to be intentional about trying to find ways to connect, right? If you're at a, an office party, and maybe you're not a big sports person, but everybody in the circle is talking about sports, you know, maybe you try to talk about sports to find a way to, you know, engage some coworkers, and you're like, yeah, you know, I, I, did, they, did they make the touchdown basket thing? That, that, you know, and so then you're, you're, you know, you're confused, and they look at you, and they go, well, you're not a sports guy, or maybe it's not sports. Maybe you're a sports person, but they're talking about, you know, Pinterest, and they're talking about recipes, and you're like, yeah, I mean, you know, have you guys ever made, you know, where you take the, the two pieces of bread, and you put the peanut butter on the one side, and the, the jelly, there's a huge Pinterest craze going around right now about the whole peanut butter and jelly thing. And they look at you and they realize like, you don't know what you're talking about, but you're trying to find ways to connect. Well, today, as we conclude our Acts series that we've been in uh, really all summer long, we want to look at a story from Acts chapter 17, which is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, because we're going to read about a guy named Paul, who we've talked about several times already in this series. And, and the Apostle Paul is the guy who's walking around, church planting, helping establish new works, new, new churches, new places of faith there in the, the early uh, first century there. And so what he's doing is he's going into these towns and he's trying to find ways to connect to the people of those communities. And in different communities, there's different ways to connect, different things that they're passionate about, different things that are happening. And so he's looking for ways to connect. So if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to flip with me to Acts chapter 17 so that we can understand a little bit about what Paul was doing and how we can learn from him. Because again, the early followers of Jesus were trying to connect with these early communities and help them to 
take what they already knew about faith or religion or the Jewish culture and take the teachings of Jesus Christ and put those into practice in these new communities. And so Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 16, is where I want us to start today. This is what it says. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. Stop right there. Here's how we'll kind of do this today. Like we do most weeks, we'll read a verse or two, a couple of verses, and then we'll stop and talk about it. But I want you to know that he's in Athens, and Athens, especially in that day and time, even, even as it is now a little bit, but especially in that day and time, it was a place where it was really pluralistic. It, it, there was a lot of thought. There was a lot of different faiths, a lot of different ideologies. In a few verses, we're going to read that they would just stand around talking about some new idea. Whatever the new ideas were, I heard this, I thought this, I read this, whatever it was, and they would just present new ideas. And there was not really a lot of filter about which ideas were good ideas and which ideas were bad ideas other than for them to talk about it. And if you've ever been in a circle of really smart people, some Sometimes they can talk themselves in circles, right? They start with a subject matter and they start talking about the good and the bad. And by the time the conversation is over, they are so far away from the original idea, but everybody's on board because they all arrive there together. Whether or not it makes sense, they all arrived at the same place. And so that's how they develop thought and ideology. And so this is the place that Paul arrives. He arrives in Athens and his spirit is provoked, it says. His, his soul is awakened to the idea that in this city there are idols. These idols, some of them were statues. Some of them were other things that you could tell people were worshiping. And they were worshiping all manner of things. It wasn't just like you would show up here to church and you're worshiping God like this morning we've been doing. But they were worshiping that pole. And they were worshiping an idol that someone had made, a, a statue of some other type of God. And they were worshiping the Greek God and they were worshiping the Roman gods and they were worshiping all number of things and his spirit was provoked. There was something that happened as he saw what was happening, right? As he saw, as he opened his eyes and he looked around him, he saw that the city was full of idols. Now, the word saw here in the original language means to survey, means to view intently or to discern. And I talk about that word a lot. Discern is not a word we use often in our present English, but discern just means to distinguish, Right? It means to try to determine something that you are observing, try to determine. And when we talk about it in the context of spiritual things or spiritual gifts, discernment being one of those gifts, maybe your translation of the Bible talks about to distinguish. It's talking about looking at things that seem spiritual and trying to de discern, determine, distinguish. Are these things of God or are they not of God? And so that's what Paul's doing. He's looking, he is seeing, he's surveying, he is discerning. What's happening? Before he speaks, look at the, the order here. Before he speaks, he sees. Before he speaks, he surveys. I think so often in our culture, in our day and time, what we do as followers of Jesus Christ, and I recognize not everybody in the room is a follower of Jesus Christ, but we have a mission. The followers of Christ have a mission. Jesus gave it to his closest followers just before he left the earth, and he said to go and make disciples. Go into all nations and make disciples. And so we often go and speak to make disciples. We go and talk, and hey, this is what you should do, and, and I'm a talker, right? I, I'm going to stand up, and I'm going to proclaim the truths of God and tell you why God is worth following and what you should do and why you should do it. But I wonder how many times we actually look 
before we speak. I wonder how many times we listen before we speak. That's what Paul did. He saw, he observed, he discerned before he talked. And so here's the question for us today. What's the spiritual climate around you? If you were looking around to determine, to discern, to see if the places around you, your home, your neighborhood, your workplace, your school, what's the spiritual climate? As you look at it, as you see it, is your spirit provoked by anything? Do we just stand and speak? Do we just stand and talk? Hey, here's what you should do. Here's what you should do. Here's what you should do. But whether or not it connects is not really on us. We just think we're supposed to just talk, 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 because that's how you make disciples. No, no, no. I wonder if we have observed enough where we could truly understand what the spiritual climate, the spiritual context around us is. When we go to our kids' birthday parties or we go to the sports teams that they play on or we go to their gymnastics class and we're sitting with the other parents, when we're at work and we're listening around the water cooler, maybe we go to lunch or we go to a party, are we listening to see? Are we understanding what the conversations around us would tell us about the spiritual climate? Let's keep reading in verse 17. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. So he saw, and then he reasoned. He saw, and then he reasoned. He reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. The word reason there at the beginning of verse 17 is to think different things with oneself, to mingle thought with other thought, to ponder or revolve around these ideas and to converse or discourse with one or to argue. Now, some of us, if we're followers of Christ, we love to argue. We love to reason with you, and really that just means to tell you why you're wrong and we're right, right? Nobody. There's three or four people that understood what I was saying right there, right? The platforms of our day, Facebook gives us great places to argue. We just skim through the timeline, and we just look for somebody to pick a fight with. Oh, how dare you say that? How dare you watch that? How dare you talk about that? Do you not know what it says in 3rd Leviticus? And there's no 3rd Leviticus, right? But we just pick whatever we want to pick that sounds like a good argument to fight against whatever it is we think needs fighting against. We reason with. But what he did is he saw first. Before he talked, before he reasoned with anybody, before he had discourse or discussion, Before he mingled his thoughts with their thoughts, he saw so that he would know what to reason, so that he would know how to approach them. We must think before we speak, but we also must think new thoughts. Now, make sure you don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not talking about doing away with the centrality of the gospel I'm not talking about taking the gospel message and allowing other thoughts that are not the gospel and are not Christ and are not God and Him crucified and Him resurrected. I'm not talking about making that your argument. But I am saying that it does not change the centrality of the gospel if we allow for conversation to take place. Right? If we become so insular in our conversation where the only people we are ever talking to are those that agree with us, two things happen. One, it's difficult to make disciples of those who are already disciples. And secondly, it's difficult for us to really be able to reason with any integrity if we've never exposed ourselves to thoughts that are different than our thoughts. And so we see, and then we reason. Now let's read several verses together, verse 18. 
Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Oropagus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears, and we wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who live there would spend their time in nothing except telling and hearing something new. This is the culture. This is the environment that he walks into. His spirit was provoked because of all the idols. So he saw it, he discerned it, then he goes in and he reasons in the marketplace and he reasons in the synagogue. And some of the philosophers hear that there's this guy who's preaching something new. He's talking about something new. And so they say, hey, who is this guy? Who's this foreign babbler? And they're like, oh, he's just one of those preachers who's talking about some foreign divinity. He's talking about some new God, new thing out there somewhere. And so they say, well, hey, come and talk to us because we love to hear new things. And what I wrote here as I was putting this together is, it is not our job to convince them. It's our job to engage them. It's not our job to convince them, because here's what we know. If I can convince you of something, someone else can come along and unconvince you of something. It's not my job to convince you. It's my job to engage you with the gospel. I believe that the gospel convinces for itself. I believe that the gospel message, and I believe that the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, the love of God that comes from the story of the gospel, I believe it does the work itself. It's not my job to convince you or to convince anybody. It's just my job to engage you with the gospel. And so that's what we see Paul doing here. He says, okay, yeah, I'll come in and I'll talk and I'll present this new idea. You love to stand around in this place and you talk about all the different ideas and all the different things. And so I've got an idea for you. And this is what he says in verse 22. Listen to how wise he is in the way that he presents the gospel. Verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Oropagus, said, men of Athens... I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, what therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Because he took the time to see them, because he took the time to discern Because he took the time to really engage where they were at, he didn't have to come at them with the gospel in a way that did not have any correlation to where they were living. No, no, no. He could bring the gospel in the way that meant something to them. He said, I observe that you're very religious, right? He's bragging on them. It's the compliment sandwich I'm trying to teach my 12-year-old. Like, if we're going to be a little critical, let's be critical. Let's deal with the issue. But somewhere around that, let's also be nice, right? So he says, listen, when I I see you, man, you, you guys are so smart. You're so wise. You're constantly trying to better yourself. You're very religious. You're, you're finding something bigger than yourself. And as I was walking around, I discovered that you've already discovered the guy I'm talking about. There was one of your idols that had an inscription that said to the unknown God, the one you're already worshiping, I'm just here to give him a name. I'm just here to tell you who you're already worshiping so that you'll fully know, so that you'll fully be able to engage this one that is unknown to you. You say, well, 
Yeah, but I mean, that's Paul, right? He, he walked, I don't, I don't go to Athens and look at idols. But maybe you have a friend who's hurting. You know anybody in your life that's grieving right now? And maybe the gospel is awakened to them, not as you talk about sin, but as you talk about the truth of the Sermon on the Mount that said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I see that you're grieving. I've walked a similar road. Let me tell you what helped me get through it. It's a God who provides comfort. Maybe you know somebody whose life is in disarray. I mean, their life is a mess. When you look at them, you just can't figure out how it seems to continue to be so messy. I mean, it just, everywhere they turn, everywhere they look, it seems like another piece falls by the wayside. And you just can't figure out how in the world they're even keeping it all together. And so the gospel awakened to them may look like something that says, listen, I've been where you're at. I can recognize what you're walking through. Let me just tell you about the God who gives peace that passes all understanding. He, you know, one time he was with his disciples in a boat and a storm kicked up, maybe similar to some storms you're walking through right now. And he just stepped to the front of the boat and he just said, peace, be still. And all of the storms stopped. Wouldn't that be amazing if God would just speak peace into the storms of your life? It's the gospel. You're preaching the gospel. But because you see them, because you've opened your eyes to discover where they are, before you just start touting your three favorite scriptures, before you just start proclaiming something on Facebook about why they're wrong and why you're right, you look at them and you try to see them with the compassion that God possesses for them himself so that you know how to reason with them, so that you know how to approach them with the gospel so that you can say to them, hey, here, here's the God that I met when I found myself in the same place that you find yourself today. He said, men of Athens, I see that you are very religious. I mean, you, you, you're so close. You're so close. And I just want to help you know how to take that last step. The God, the unknown God that you worship, I want to put a name to him. His name is Jesus. He was crucified and he was resurrected. And I think interestingly for all of us, it's so easy for us just to yell at people we don't have relationship with. I've said this before, I actually found it in some old notes that I preached before, but man, it was so convicting to me this week. It's so easy for us just to stand and to yell and project at people that we don't know. Because we can just call them by their label. We can just call them by their worst thing. But it's a whole different conversation when you actually know their name. It's a whole different conversation when you're actually having a conversation. We can't shout from the outside we must converse from the inside. He didn't stand outside the Oropagus and say, you're wrong, you're wrong, and I'm right and you're wrong. He stepped into the middle of their context. He stepped into the middle of their pursuit for truth. And he said, hey, 
Let me just tell you about the God that you're already worshiping, but you don't know his name. It's easier to shout from the outside. It's much more difficult, but it's also much more effective to have a conversation from the inside, to find common ground from which to have a conversation. So Paul lays out the gospel. After he's connected to them, he lays out the gospel beginning in verse 32. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom were Dionysius, the Oropagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Did you see how people responded? It was kind of a mixed bag. Right? That's, Paul just lays out the gospel in kind of 25 through 31. And after they had heard about the resurrection of Jesus, after they had heard about the power of the resurrection and Jesus comes back to life, there were a couple of responses, three specific ones that are spelled out. Some mocked him. Some looked at him and said, you're an idiot. How in the world could you believe something so crazy? Some said, you know what? This is interesting. Let's keep talking about this. And some said, I want to believe that. And they received the message of the gospel in their life. Some said, you're an idiot. Some said, let's keep having a conversation. And some believed. I think as you and I engage the people around us who are in search for truth, the people that are far from God, but maybe they're closer than they've ever been, as we engage them with the truth, you can expect these same three types of responses. Some will not believe Some will turn away from you. Some will throw arrows at you. Some will make you feel like you're an idiot. Some will just want to continue to have the conversation. They're just not yet ready to make that decision. And so they want to just keep having the conversation. This sounds interesting. I want to keep talking about this. Let's keep pondering what you're talking about. Let me me do some of my own research. Let me talk about this some more with other people to see where they are in this whole faith thing. And some will believe. Some will respond to what you present as the gospel message. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, which is again Paul writing here to the Corinthian church. He said, I became all things to all people that I might reach all of them. No, that's not actually what it says. He says, I became all things to all people that I might reach some. He recognized that as he served people, as he made himself a servant... Instead of yelling from the outside, he engaged them from the inside. He had a conversation with them. As he did that, he recognized, like, I'm trying to connect to all people everywhere that I can. And I recognize that I'm not going to win everybody to the Lord. I'm going to be okay just doing my job, doing the best that I can, being as faithful as I can. And I believe that God is the one who brings fruit. I can't make fruit. I just stay connected to the vine. That's what John 15 talks about. I stay connected to the vine. He's the one that produces fruit, that I might reach some. You can't save people as much as you want to. You can't save people, but you can serve people. You can serve people, love people, engage people, and ask God to save people. But the problem is that so often, instead of helping people find God, what we really do is we make it more difficult for them to find God. 
If we're not careful, instead of making it easier for people to find God, we make it more difficult. If you back up a little bit in the book of Acts, what you find is that beginning in about Acts chapter 10, you see that the gospel was opened up to the Gentiles. The Gentiles were those people that were non-Jewish. The gospel is opened up, right? Peter has this vision and he goes and takes the gospel to Cornelius's house and his whole household is saved. And then you see that the other apostles begin to engage the message of the gospel to the Gentile people. And now the gospel is spreading and it's no longer just for Jews. It's also for the Gentiles, which is what Jesus had prophesied about when he was even on the earth. Well, you know who gets upset that Gentiles are getting saved? Religious Jewish people. And so they start getting upset and they say, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. You're telling me that a group of people can be found worthy of relationship with God and they don't have to do all the things that we Jews have to do? Like they don't have to abstain from certain foods. They don't have to perform some of the religious practices that we have to perform. And in Acts chapter 15, you see the culmination of this big fight that's happening there in the first century. That the Jewish people are upset. Not all of them, but some of them are upset because they say, no, no, you've actually made it too easy for those people to get saved. I'm just going to let that hang right there for a second. You've made it too easy for people to get saved. Now, two things come to my mind when I hear that phrase. One, how hard was it for you to get saved? Did somebody make it hard for you or was it easy for you? And the second thing that I think is sometimes what we've done is we've made following Jesus harder than he ever intended it. It became about a to-do list. It became about a checklist, right? It became, okay, I got saved. Now I got to do these 37 things to make sure that I stay saved. I got to go to church and I got to pay my tithes and I got to join a life group and I got to serve and then I've, I got to come and do this thing and I got to clean up this thing and I got to do this. All of those things are good. Don't hear what I'm not saying. You do need to pay your tithes. I believe in that, all right? No, 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 but here's, here's the deal. What we've done is we've made all of those things the barrier to salvation. We've made it the barrier to salvation if we're not careful. You got to check all these things off, right? You got, it's like going to the DMV. You show up, you ever gone to the DMV and you showed up and you hand them all the stuff and they're like, nope, you're missing 17 more pieces of paper. <laughs> you're like, what? They, they're like, yeah, we need your power bill from 37 Septembers ago. And you're like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think I have that. But that's what we've done with following Jesus. It's like, you're supposed to just gather all this stuff up and come to Jesus and go, I hope this is enough for you to accept me. I mean, I, I hope, I mean, when I listen to some people who are followers of Jesus, man, they make it sound like it is an absolute chore to follow after you, like you're hiding from them all the time. And, you know, if they make one wrong turn, you're just leaving them, right? I'm told if you're following me in a car and we're headed to the same direction, I'm difficult to follow. That's what I'm told. Because I don't like to sit in traffic. So, like, if I see there's an opening in the right-hand lane, but we're stopping in my lane, like, I'm cutting across the right lane, going through the Kmart parking lot to get to where I'm headed. And if you miss that turn, you just weren't paying attention. That's not my fault. And sometimes I'm afraid that that's what we think following Jesus is like. Jesus is just taking the next best turn that he can find. And if you weren't paying attention, you look around, you go, where would Jesus go? Where, where did it, where'd it happen? I missed him. Oh, my God, I've missed Jesus. I can no longer find Jesus. He's not hiding from you. And yet, here's what happens. 
we sometimes, followers of Christ, I'm indicting the followers of Christ. So if you're not a follower of Christ in the room, you're off the hook for the next couple minutes. We, the followers of Jesus Christ, we go, no, no, no. Like when we read Acts 15, like we kind of get what the Jews were saying. It's not fair. It's really not fair that all they have to do is just believe in Jesus. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's what we did, but I mean, but then we got it right. And then we got better. And so like, it's not, it's not enough. Like they need to get better too. And all of a sudden, a couple of the apostles that got it, they started arguing back and they go, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. That wasn't the message of Jesus. Those were the old laws that we had been given when we didn't have Jesus yet. When we didn't have any other way to get to God, God provided us all of these laws, 700 plus, that we could try our very best to keep because there was no other way to the Father. And then Jesus showed up and he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except by me. Like, just, just look to Jesus. Just believe in Jesus. And then look at this in Acts chapter 15, verse 19. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Have you ever made it difficult for somebody who's trying to turn to God? You ever made anybody feel like they weren't worthy? They weren't good enough? They weren't right enough for him to make them right? You ever made it difficult? That's not the gospel message. And I realize, I recognize, because man, it is so much a part of the fabric of who I am and how I was raised, that when I start talking like this, it makes some of you so uncomfortable. You're like, man, I, I'm not sure you're actually still preaching the gospel right now. I mean, if everybody can just get in, what's the point? This is what it said about Jesus in John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. We've got the truth part figured out. My concern today is not that we don't know the truth and we haven't been able to figure out how to tell the truth. Like we're good truth tellers. We got it figured out. I'm not concerned about us telling the truth. We have told the truth. We got enough people in our lives that just say, well, I love you enough just to tell you the truth. And that means I'm about to hurt your feelings. Just prepare yourself. Get thick skin. I'm about to hurt your feelings. That is the way some of us present the gospel. I love you enough to tell you the truth. You're going straight to hell. Very few people that I've ever encountered, that's the way they found Jesus. Maybe it was for you, and maybe that's exactly what somebody that you know needs. But you're not going to know that unless you look at them first. And unless you listen to the Holy Spirit inside of you, so that your spirit can be provoked, so that you know how to reason with them. And there may be a moment where you've got to look them right in the eye, and you've got to be the voice of truth, because nobody else in their life is. But they've probably got a lot of people telling them, that they're going to bust hell wide open. 
They probably do. But Jesus came from the Father full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. It wasn't 50-50. It was 100% and 100%. He was full of grace. And he was full of truth. He wasn't half full of grace and half full of truth. When you put it all together, it made 100%. It was 100% grace and 100% truth. And here's the reality for us today. Truth without grace is unfair. But grace without truth is unloving. Don't just be the guy. Don't just be the girl that says, well, I love you enough to tell you the truth. Unless that's what your spirit is provoked to do. The spirit of God that loves that person just as much as God loves you. Maybe you need to be the truth teller. But maybe you need to be the grace giver. And you probably need to be a little bit of both. You need to walk around full of grace and truth because you are the embodiment to the very best of your ability of Jesus Christ on the earth and Jesus Christ in the lives of those you come in contact with. And so you come and you see them and then you reason with them and you don't scream from the outside. You have a conversation from the inside in relationship with them. You're not trying to convince them. You're just trying to engage them. You're allowing the Holy Spirit inside of them to convince them to compel them, to call them. And you are just grace and truth. Because you want to be the embodiment of Jesus Christ. You want to walk into your Athens at work tomorrow and look around and try to find the idols that the people on your work are worshiping. So that if over lunch they're talking about whatever it is that's going on, you can find a common ground to say, yeah, man, I, I see that idol that you're already worshiping and you're so close. You're so close. Let me tell you how I engage the God that I now worship. Let me tell you the story. Let me tell you who I was. Let me tell you who he is. And let me tell you who I am now. That's the gospel. Grace and truth. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. Nobody looking around here just for a second as we take a moment of just personal reflection and response. You didn't come today just to hear a bunch of people sing songs. You didn't come today just to hear me preach. I believe we came today to experience the presence and the power of God and so as you sit here today in this 9.30 service, if you would say to me, Jeremy, I need Jesus Christ to be the Lord and Savior of my life. As you lay out the gospel, as you present this idea that we're all sinners, that we've all fallen short of God's glory, I recognize that I, I'm, I've fallen short. But as you tell me there's hope and that there's a plan for me, that I can be saved. I want to be saved today. Would you just lift your hand right where you're at? You can put it right back down. Just put your hand up to acknowledge that I need him to be the savior of my life, to lead and guide and to direct me. Now, if you would say to me, Jeremy, I, 
I want to be full of grace and truth. I, I want to be the kind of person that God can use to engage those who need to know Him. I don't want to just be a truth teller unless that's what He needs. I don't want to just be a grace giver unless that's what He needs. I want to be the embodiment of Jesus Christ, full of grace and truth everywhere that I go. Would you lift your hand right where you're at? And put it back down. Thank you so much. God, we thank you today for the opportunity to read your word, to engage the scriptures, to live more of the life that you've called us to live. For those that are followers of Christ in the room, we want to live on mission to go into all the world and make disciples. And so God, help us to do that. And I pray today that as we are going and engaging people, that you would help us to be your hands and your feet extended to be full of grace and truth. God, you would help us to see people the way that you see them and to reason with them in ways that connect to where they're at, that we wouldn't just yell from the outside, but we would engage them right where they're at. God, as we do, I believe that some may mock, but some may want to continue to have conversation and others will believe. It is not our job to convince them. God, you do that by your Holy Spirit. Help us to engage them with the gospel message. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.